Hey, 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 hey. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. We are on our way today to having a wonderful, wonderful guy come on. And I want to say welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City. And it's actually a beautiful day today for a change. We're starting to get one of some of the last of that kind of spring weather, warm weather. Also, I wanted to say this past Sunday, we had a fantastic show with Rowetta, the UK vocalist, and she was absolutely blinding and so true and honest with everything she did and said. It was really moving and it's wonderful to hear our women in the industry talk so clear about their lives and not have anything held back kind of feels like a therapy session and also a teaching lesson at the same time. So that's a wonderful thing. So we're going to try to bring more women on. I I have some others in store before the year's out, but tonight or today, I turn the camera back to New York City, to the disco era. To a legend, 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 legendary DJ, remixer, producer, AR man, you call it however you wanna, however you wanna call it, and everything you say about him, he is an icon. He's a friend of ours. He's been watching my show since I started it. And I finally asked him a few months ago, I said, hey. To this, I'm going to say his name in a second. I said, hey, Pinky, would you come on, baby? He said, hell yeah, I'm coming on. I'm, I'm going to tell the story needs to be told. I said, yeah, you got to tell it right. Ray Pinky Velasquez comes up right now to the stage from upstate New York. Ray is in the house. In the house, Ray. What's going on, bro? How are you? Good, Lenny. How are you? How's life treating you? And uh, hello to everybody out there on this show. I uh, just want to let you know, Lenny, that, uh, you know, your show is just fabulous. I watch a lot of these shows online and everybody's trying to come up with a certain formula on doing these type of shows. But you've taken it to a different level. And, uh, you know, your show is crisp. It's clear. It's very entertaining and uh, it's setting kind of a tone uh, for others to follow. And, uh, you know, I believe that uh, you're headed for a very special place with what you do. So I'm more than honored to be here and more than honored to be your friend, Lenny. Oh, thank you. Most importantly, most importantly, I've always said this, you know, uh, without all of you paving the way and showing us through music and through the accomplishments that you all did between making the records and signing stuff, a lot of us would never have known how to maneuver and do what we came to do in, our, in the dance music industry. And we want to thank you for that. But, of course, I know we need to hear this story and there's a lot to say. So I want to get right to the first question, Ray. Sure. I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> I know, I remember hearing about a lot of people bought their turntables to your dad's place that he worked in before the World Trade Centers were there. And I know there's a, is a young, young pinky 
that we need to hear about and how music finds a young Pinky. So, Pinky, take it away, baby. It's all up to you now. Well, you know, when I think about my career, you know, and, um, you know, and I'm not saying that my career blows the water uh, out of the industry with everything I've done, but I've had my share of excitements and successes that identify who I am. Um, going back uh, when I was teenager growing up in uh, East Harlem in Manhattan, uh, my brother, who's two years younger than me, Marvin, Marvin Velasquez, well, he was always playing uh, in the room, in his bedroom, uh, a lot of soft rock, um, a lot of um, easy listening rock, uh, for example, James Taylor, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, ELO, and, you know, getting into the Rolling Stones, a little bit more of a heavier rock, the Beatles. You know, one thing that started happening, Motown, you know, Diana Ross and the Supreme, Smokey Robinson, Stevie, early Michael Jackson. Once things started happening, I started getting an, a feel for melody. I started getting a feel for, you know, uh, a hit record, uh, you know, and one thing I, I took in was the idea, the concept that um, a hit record, a good melody somehow penetrates the human spirit and connects with your soul, connects with the better parts of who you are. And that's something that to me, no matter how music is changing, will always be the benchmark of the music business, melody and song. Once you have that, you know, you can always add a great rhythm track with a bass line and create that, that attitude. But with a melody and a song, you've got the piece of cake that's gonna work to, to create longevity with music. You know, so, for example, look at all the house music that's out today. It's a global, quote unquote, pandemic. You know, when you think of house music, it's evolved. It's all over the place. Every DJ in the planet that wants to become a DJ comes in, wants to become a little superstar and play their house music and, and let everybody know how great they are because they can play that rhythm track, that bass line. But the problem is, where's the melody? Where's the, um, where's the song? You know, so half of that is not there. And that's why a lot of these artists are not here today. You know, they come in with a song, they're out, and they're done within a month, and it's on to the next artist. There's just too much of this monotony of bass and drums and not enough melody and song. So, you know, speaking, speaking to guys like Butch Ingram that I spoke to about a couple of weeks ago on the phone, you know, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to song structure. That's what this business is all about. <clears throat> anyway, getting back to my story, like you mentioned to me, Lenny, 
Uh, I grew up in a household listening to melody, listening to song. And, you know, that was a rich time, the 60s, early 70s, where you had um, WABC radio playing hit records, hit records, super hit one, super hit one. And um, as I became a DJ, you know, I went to City College um, in New York. And before that, I had graduated for, from Cardinal Hayes High School in the Bronx, which is a Catholic school. <clears throat> um, I started DJing City College parties. And I met Russell Simmons there at City College, you know, and he, you know, he's the back, the backbone of uh, Run DMC and their success. Well, um, I, you know, I started learning how to entertain crowds and get a feel of the dance floor. And uh, I realized that just playing a record as a DJ is not enough. You have to, you have to kind of watch that floor and feel the pulse of what that floor is doing and what it's looking for. And how do you redirect that and make the floor uh, a stage where you're entertaining people like an actor does on a stage and at the same time creating a direction of, uh, of music that's leading people in a direction where uh, their hearts and souls are being fulfilled with the music that you're playing. Long story short, it took a while for me to, to, to actually um, know how to control a dance floor as compared to just playing records like the Tramps and all of these songs back of the back in the 70s. And you know, playing a hit record <clears throat> is one thing. But but playing songs one after another and leading your audience in a direction is something else. And, uh, and, and you know this uh, better, better than I do, Lenny, because you spin records and you know that when you're spinning records, you're watching that floor. You're watching the facial expressions. You're watching the attitude. You're watching the general consensus of what that floor is looking for and how you tap into that and make it move in a certain direction over time throughout the course of the evening. And that's the magic of being a DJ, especially back in the 70s, where you had that control. Um, you had that uh, direction. So anyway, getting back to my story, um, I, um, uh, you know, as far as the Ipanema, you know, my, my dad used to work at uh, and you're aware of this, uh, Leonard Radio, uh, which was located at 1133 Avenue of America, is about a block away and across the street from Downstairs Records uh, in Manhattan. Now they had a they had a sister store down in uh, Canal Street, uh, that area, 
But the main store was um, down at 1133 Avenue of Americas. My dad was the assistant manager of the store. You know, so a lot of the DJs, you know, what he did, he sold audio equipment, top of the line audio equipment, Technics 1200 and 1100A turntables, uh, amplifiers. Uh, actually, he, my dad actually helped put up the sound system in one of the stores in Manhattan, uh, Canal Jeans, when that was open back in the 70s. He put up that whole sound system. Um, so I uh, remember that pinky. I remember Canal Jeans. I remember it. Very cool place, you know. And then they had closed down. I think they moved to Brooklyn uh, and then Nostrand Avenue. And I think they closed down after that. Uh, but very cool place for uh, clothing. Anyway, um, getting back. So my dad would be would meet a lot of people at Leonard Radio. Uh, Tom Savarese was a regular walking in there looking for equipment, uh, kind of looking over the amplifier situation, the turntables, always looking for something new uh, for what he was doing. You know, and Tom, Tom was a big DJ at the time. Um, and um, he uh, and also Ronnie Suarez. Uh, Ronnie Suarez was the main DJ at the Ipanema Discotheque. In those days, he was the primary, the only DJ then. The Ipanema opened as a Brazilian nightclub, just catering to Brazilian people. And you know how festive Brazilian people are. They love to party. You ever been to, if you ever, if you ever been to a Brazilian carnival, you know, you can see the madness in uh, the festivities with uh, the Brazilians, they just love to party. Well, um, Ronnie was working many nights at the Ipanema, uh, I believe seven nights a week. And it became uh, uh, a lot for Ronnie to do. <clears throat> so uh, Ronnie meeting my dad and knowing my dad and communicating a lot about uh, audio systems and turntables at Leonard Radio. Well, Ronnie says to my dad, uh, Ray, and my my dad's name is Ray, just like I am. I'm Ray Jr. and he's Ray Sr. Well, Ray, you know, I'm working at this club and uh, working a lot of nights. So, and, and I'm looking for a little bit of help there. So my dad tells Ronnie, well, my son is a DJ, um, you know, and I don't know a lot about how good he is, but he's very excited about what he does. And maybe you may want to give him a tryout, see if he can help you. So Ronnie provided um, I mean, my dad provided my direct phone number uh, for Ronnie. Ronnie gave me a call uh, and asked me to come down after we had a 15-minute talk on the phone to the Ipanema on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon about 1 o'clock. And he wanted me to play some records, asked me to bring down some records. 
he told he actually told me he had some records in the office there but if i felt more comfortable bringing my own to bring them and he would let me play for an hour he just wanted to let me uh wanted to hear me play and make a decision on whether or not i can help him during the week so <clears throat> i was playing my records i was a little uncomfortable with playing in the Ipanema on a Tuesday afternoon afternoon because I've never played on the system before. It was my first time playing in a big club like that. So I was a little intimidated, but um, at the same time, very excited that I got the call. So I wanted to take full advantage of the time and I didn't, quote unquote, I didn't want to mess it up. So, you know, after 20 minutes, Ron says, Ron comes up. And I see him walking towards the booth with, a, with an expression that says, I don't think this is going to work. And a partial expression that said, you got the job. So I wasn't sure until he came to the booth. So, so first thing is, what year was that, would you say, that happened that you went for the tryout? Do you remember? That must have been about 75 or 76, very early 76, give or take. I can't remember exactly the time, but it was around that time. And Ronnie says, you know, it was only 20 minutes, and he asked me to play for an hour. And um, he says, turn off the music. You know, you're, you're working Tuesday night. Inside, I started jumping for joy, even though I was stationary. <laughs> so it was great. So I started working Tuesday nights. And um, Tuesday night was kind of an empty night, not too crowded. Uh, a lot of Brazilians there. Um, you know, which led to the point that over time, I would need to kind of feed that energy and start playing some type of Brazilian music because, you know, I look at the dance floor, I've got these Brazilians putting their hands in the air and look like they were praying to God when they're doing their dance on the floor, but I'm not giving them Brazilian music, which I, which I knew is something that they would, you know, enjoy even more so. So I got, little by little, I started doing my research on Brazilian sambas and, and started playing some of that music in between the disco music to give them a little bit more uh, validity of what they were looking for. Uh, anyway, Tuesday nights over time started becoming a little bit crowded with what I was doing to the point that um, Ronnie told me over a few months, hey, would you like to work Tuesday and Wednesdays? I said, sure. You know, and I was, I was, I was beginning to feel a lot comfortable because since it wasn't that crowded, I didn't feel that pressure of having to perform top notch. So in a way, it was a blessing that Tuesday and Wednesdays were not that crowded. And I started building my confidence playing 
you know, playing a little bit more new stuff, you know, and, and so on, playing a little bit more Brazilian music, watching the, watching the reaction of the floor to the Brazilian music and gaining my confidence that way. Well, over time, Tuesday and Wednesdays became almost as good uh, crowd-wise um, as Thursdays. And Thursdays was a bigger night at Ipanema at that time. So at some point, the owner, Roosevelt Ramos, actually the owners were two, Roosevelt Ramos and um, Carlos Watimo. Carlos Watimo spent most of his time in Brazil. Roosevelt ran the Ipanema here in New York. So Roosevelt comes to me um, after one Wednesday night and says, you know, Pink, I want you to work Thursday. So I tell him, I tell him, that's fine. Does Ronnie Suarez know about Thursday? He says, don't worry about Ronnie. <clears throat> um, you know, I want you, I want you to work um, Thursday, and I'll let Ronnie know. And I mentioned to him, please, I don't mind working Thursdays, Roosevelt, but my friendship with Ronnie is very sacred. Please make sure that he's aware of it. I don't want any, uh, you know, any friction about doing this for, for you. As a matter of fact, you know, I want to make sure that he's aware of it. Well, anyway, I personally went to Ronnie after that uh, Wednesday evening and spoke to him. And he says, Ronnie says, oh, Pink, don't worry about it. Take Thursday. I'm just, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, Mondays are a lot for me. Uh, I'm, I'm good with it. So anyway, long story short, Thursday nights started becoming a big night at the Ipanema. It was already a big night, but it became bigger. Uh, um, people were coming in and very curious about the music that was going on. Um, and uh, what happened was Thursday nights became almost as good as Friday nights. And at that point, you know, Roosevelt wanted me to work Friday night. Now, that was very sensitive for me because I definitely did not want any friction with Ronnie. Ronnie's a good friend. As a matter of fact, Ronnie is a good friend of mine today. And he's got a daughter named Christy Soares, S-O-A-R-E-S, who just finished interviewing me for her college. Uh, she's a wonderful girl, wonderful person. And... You know, we get along great. So anyway, getting back, Ronnie told me, don't worry about it. Take Friday. You know, I still have Saturdays. You know, I'm, I'm just very busy doing what I'm doing. I'm doing a lot of things. I'm opening a record store on uh, West 47th Street near 8th Avenue. I'm just very busy. No problem, Pink. Okay, so I got Friday. Friday turned out to be overtime an incredible place at the Ipanema. I mean, the girls were getting in free before midnight. 
And at midnight, the doors were, were closed. I mean, there were so many women in the place. And I tell you one thing, <clears throat> I learned something about music through women. Women, you know, women, women have a way of being very nurturing. They're very caring. That's their natural, you know, men are more of the hunters. You know, they go out and make things happen. Women are a little bit more sensitive about things. Well, I learned that playing music for women, especially at the Ipanema before midnight, where it was just free for women and packed with women, that women like to hear a little bit more melody, a little bit more pretty stuff, a little bit more song. And I started feeding that. I started feeding that stuff, feeding that emotion, you know. And I could see women smiling on the dance floor, laughing, dancing with each other as before midnight, before the men started walking in. And I was catering to that, to that energy uh, on the floor. And to me, it's always been a big part of my musical career to, to somehow connect with melody and music. And you, and you look, at, look at the world today, you know, it's women leading the way today in, in, in the, the job force. Um, women are even playing sports today. You know, it's become a, a world of women that are taking control of life on this planet. When you think about it, little by little, it's that shift from men to women taking more of the control. And it makes sense because they're more nurturing. They listen. Uh, they're more attentive. They, they care more. And it makes sense in the world we live today that women would be holding uh, the, the connection of holding life on this planet. So getting back, um, you know, eventually I was asked to work Saturday nights and, you know, Saturday nights became, you know, with, uh, Ray Pinky Velasquez. And let me tell you, at that point, you know, my confidence level was very high because I, I have been testing records testing the dance floor on tuesday wednesday empty nights thursdays a little bit more crowded friday saturday now i got a packed house and it became fun and at the same time i wanted to give the floor more i wanted to to find these hard to get records that i heard in other other clubs like going to listen to Walter Gibbons at Galaxy 21, or even remembering David Mancuso at The Loft playing what he did for his audience. You know, and to me, you know, DJs will get into this, this situation of, well, who, what's, who's a better DJ? Who plays better? To me, a good DJ knows how to handle the floor. It's not about mixing beats per minute, you know, today that thing has become, you know, uh, unreal when you think of DJs today doing their sets and perfectly locking these big beats on a computer. And that's what makes them, quote unquote, great. 
hey, David Mancuso, when he played records at the Loft, he, it was about the music, the emotion, the spiritual connection to people, and records did not have to be played beat matched. Same thing with Nicky Ciano at the Loft. You know, beat matching was not the issue. It's about connecting with your audience spiritually with songs that take you on a trip of where, where you want to go spiritually. You know, so I learned from that environment that, and even though, you know, I could mix records on beat, I learned that the journey spiritually was what I was trying to connect with, even though I was doing it on beat. You know, so many times during the night, I changed the pace. You know, I would play uh, <clears throat> records and go up from 120 to 130 and eventually stop. And, you know, I had little sets of the Ipanema too. I, you know, I played my uh, uh, Bette Midler uh, uh, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, um, you know, Tequila, The Champs, just to, just to throw in something different for the crowds to, to enjoy. Question. So, I have a question for you. Sure. The owner kept coming to you to take to give you additional nights as you were getting more comfortable. Was it because you started implementing Brazilian music into your sets? Were the other ones doing that as well, or were you the only one that did that? No, you know I have to be honest. Ronnie Soares, the DJ that got me the job, the main DJ at the Ipanema, Ipanema before I got there. Ronnie was Brazilian. He played Brazilian music. As a matter of fact, his record shop that he opened up uh, not far from the Ipanema, 47th Street, was only, well, it was 90%, 95% Brazilian music. So I would walk into his shop just to look over um, the Brazilian music, the sambas that were danceable, you know, and, and again, um, I was playing Brazilian music, but Ronnie played a lot more than I did, you know, but I did that. I did that because I knew there was a Brazilian crowd there. And, you know, you have to put your ego aside um, uh, and not play what you want to play because you're a DJ and you're competing with other DJs. No, no, no. This is a business that's, that's being run. And, a business is is there to make money and you have to find ways to attract the business to the club. So playing the Brazilian music makes made sense because there were Brazilian people coming in to party. Now, over time, uh, the Ipanema started changing course since the Ipanema started getting crowded just about every night. And we started... Uh, experimenting. For example, Tuesday nights became Latin night. Salsa, uh, salsa bands, you know, all, all of these artists from Fani Records, Allegra Records, like Ray Barreto, Larry Harlow, Willie Colon, you know, they were coming to 
play live at the Ipanema on Tuesday night. Intermission between the sets, the DJ. So I was playing the disco music between the sets of the, the Latin bands that were performing. When uh, Thursday night became all R&B night, you know, people that were coming in after work uh, from Midtown, uh, R&B audiences coming in, and it was heavy R&B. You know, I, I started, you know, and Sunday nights became, was all Brazilian. Friday and Saturday. Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.